Welcome to the 10th episode of Biomechanics on Our Minds, and we would like to dedicate this episode to Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Woo, this is going to be the breast episode ever. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> I'm Melissa. <laughs> and I'm Hannah. And we are grad students at Stanford University, and this is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. Shout out to ISB. Welcome to Boom. And on today's episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Deirdre McGee, who is the theme leader in biomechanics breast health and is part of the Biomechanics Research Laboratory at the University of Wollongong in Australia in the med school there. Deirdre's research focuses predominantly on the biomechanics of breast health, specifically sports bra design and bra fit to promote physical activity in women. And we have an awesome interview queued up for you guys. She talks all about needs finding in patient populations and how that informs her science and her design and her future work. And it's really cool to see that. Uh, And she's got an extensive amount of clinical expertise that helps inform her direction. So I think that's also really cool to see that tie in. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun interview. And then we actually have another interview after that with a woman who's participating in one of Deirdre's studies. And she gives us this really amazing perspective on what it's like to be a breast cancer survivor and and what kind of challenges she faces after her surgery and what it's been like to be in Deirdre's study. So usually in our bit of boom, we talk about some fun facts some fun current facts in biomechanics. Usually involving animals. Yes, usually <laughs> animals. Are, um, but today we're taking the time to acknowledge and talk about some things that aren't as fun in the hopes of continuing to, to bring awareness and, and allow us to talk about this. So I think being able to talk about the research that Deirdre is doing isn't very common in many places mm-hmm. and... Um, it's really amazing work, and I think recognizing the merit in being able to talk about those things, and that's one thing that even Deirdre mentioned with her patients, that a lot of the time, like, there was just not enough communication between clinician and patient, and certainly not between scientists and patient, and just really being in tune to that, I think that was a good message that came out of her interview, and something that we can all think about ourselves like are we are we communicating enough with the people we're trying to help and Mm -hmm. um if we ourselves have a problem maybe are we communicating that enough to the people around us so we're going to start off with just a couple facts about breast cancer and then we will go into our interviews So these facts are brought to you by the National Breast Cancer Foundation, Incorporated, and you can find them on nationalbreastcancer.org. The first fact is that one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. That's a lot higher than I thought it was. And it's the most commonly diagnosed cancer in women, but men can have breast cancer as well. Yeah, actually... It says an estimated 2,400 men will be diagnosed with breast cancer. And that's in the U.S. alone. Leading into our interview today, though, is the fact that over 3.3 million breast cancer survivors are alive in the United States today. And this translates to a much larger number around the world. 
this is what our interview is focusing on, is some of the challenges in biomechanics that these survivors face. Okay, so right now we're talking to Dr. Deirdre McGee, a senior lecturer in the School of Medicine and the theme leader of Biomechanics Breast Health in the Biomechanics Research Laboratory at the University of Wollongong, Australia. Thanks for talking with us today. Could we first just get a a little bit of a background on what you do as a theme leader of Biomechanics Breast Health? So my background is I'm a physiotherapist and I started researching breast biomechanics because of issues I'd had helping both patients and female athletes with breast support and bra fit issues. That's how I got into the area. And so um, the research that we've done is looking at the breast-related problems that women have with their musculoskeletal system and with their bras and how it affects their ability to be physically active. So we've looked at women with large breasts. We've looked at professional female athletes and breast injuries and breast pain. We've looked at uh, breast pain during physical activity and now we're looking at breast cancer, uh, the, the effects that breast cancer surgery has on the musculoskeletal system. So the whole time, the, the whole point of our research is to try and enable women to be more physically active. So we've, we know that women who have breast cancer, that the percentage of women who meet the recommended guidelines is about half. And so we wanted to look at does their physical function limit them from being physically active? And then stepping back one from that, do the musculoskeletal problems that they have as a consequence of their breast cancer surgery, does that affect their physical function? Yeah, that's really interesting. And what kinds of differences have you found between, um, you said that you looked at different types of populations and how do women that have breast cancer, how are they different than the other populations that you've looked at? So, so far we've had 721 women do a survey looking at their physical function and the musculoskeletal problems that they've had affecting that function. And we've, of those 721, they were sort of equally divided among women who'd had a breast reconstruction, women who'd had a mastectomy, and women who'd had a lumpectomy. And what we found is that breast reconstruction women is the data that I've analysed first. And at six months after their breast reconstruction, 44% of them had problems with their scar in terms of either pain or a loss of range of motion. 47% had loss of range of motion or strength in their shoulder. 38% had loss of strength or range of motion in their torso. 60% of them had issues with bras, like to the point that women could not wear a bra. Wow. And 55% reported physical discomfort disturbing their sleep. So that isn't their brains overactive or they're worried or... It's actually physical discomfort is stopping these women from sleeping. So it's a huge impact that their musculoskeletal problems, you know, have on their body. And then when we looked at, well, does that affect your ability physically? 55% of them felt that their musculoskeletal problems negatively impacted their ADL, so activities of daily living. Yeah. 60% of them could not resume their sport. 
at six months after their breast reconstruction and 57% said that it stopped them from being physically active. So these musculoskeletal problems that these women have are not just a nuisance or not just a quality of life issue, they're a long-term health issue because they're limiting the women from being physically active. Right. It seems like such a need and I'm wondering why it's taken so long to, to look at this. I, I think utmost for any woman that has cancer, number one is to not die. Yeah. And I think you have to congratulate and recognise the oncologists and the breast cancer surgeons that have managed that at five years post now a diagnosis of breast cancer, 90% of women are alive. So number one, I think they, they've kept them alive, so you have to give full credit for that. And that has allowed us now this next phase of going, well, yes, you, you haven't died, now can we help you to live? And I think that's where physical function comes in, that if we're allowing these women to live, we need to care about how they're living and enabling them to be physically active so they do live well. So I think we could only really get to this point once we were keeping the women alive. And I think now is the time for us to allow the women to live well. Yeah, that's like hugely inspiring because I think we think a lot about solutions that just get to a certain point, but we don't necessarily think about the human side of like those effects, right? Like these are women, yes, they're alive, but now they still have a life and uh, we want to help them live that to the fullest. Yeah, so I, 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 I think that, our, and that they're, a lot of these women are mothers, you know, like there's uh, the the bulk of the uh, the mean age that I tested, the women were 55. So they're older women, and they uh, that means they can still con- at that age they're still contributing to the workforce. But they're they're busy. They're they're mothers. They're they're doing things, and so their physical function is really important to them. So you know, in terms of the um, you know, 40 is about, it was 42 and 46% complained that they, that their physical, their musculoskeletal problems limiting them in doing work. So it affected them financially in their ability to work and also affected them financially in that they needed assistance to do physical things or they needed, uh, they, they couldn't do things and therefore needed to pay out financially for treatment. So I think there's, there's a, the impact is not just quality of life, even though quality of life is important for these women. Health is actually important for them to be physically active. And then we want these women who to still contribute to society in terms of their jobs or in terms of their families. So they still have work they need to do while they're living. So I think it's these three facets that make it, this is really important. We need to do this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when you say musculoskeletal issues, what types of issues are you referring to specifically and, and how are you starting to develop tools to measure these issues? Okay. So the first thing when I started this research, and we this is the, the policy we always follow with our group, our, our research group in terms of breast health biomechanics is called Breast Research Australia. And so we always try to solve problems 
We're not researching because we've got a machine or we've got a measurement tool that's a toy and we want to use it. Okay, so we're specifically going, what problems do we need to solve? So we always start off with focus groups. And so I met with women, uh, you know, in southern Sydney and in the Illawarra in sort of, you know, 100 kilometres either way from me and said, what musculoskeletal problems do you have after your breast cancer surgery? And they, those women said to me, my issues are with scarring, my shoulder, my upper torso, so the, the trunk, the upper trunk, my ability to be, my, my just physical discomfort during sleep, uh, problems with my donor site in terms of a reconstruction because you can have, they can either take tissue from your lower abdomen or maybe from your back to recreate uh, a breast. Wow. Lymphedema, which is a, a can be a consequence of of a, of a mastectomy, and issues with breast support in terms of wearing the bra. So the women, the focus group women, created these uh, subcategories for me of musculoskeletal problems that women had, and then uh, at the same time I met up with clinicians. So I met up with physiotherapists, bre uh, breast surgeons, plastic surgeons, oncologists. Um, with clinical nurse specialists in terms of breast cancer and lymphedema uh, therapists and said, what do you think the problems are? Do you think women have problems? And what I found, there was a discrepancy between what the the patients, right, the women who'd had the breast reconstruction, what they experienced and what the medical team thought they would experience. And the, basically from the, the medical team, the impression was that a very small percentage of women have problems and most women will return to their physical function, you know, maybe eight weeks after their surgery. So it wow. wasn't seen that the musculoskeletal problems were really an issue. And there was a, a wonderful physiotherapist who'd worked for 30 years, you know, with these women who I met up with in Queensland. And she said, the fundamental problem is this. She said, I've been working in this area for 30 years. And she said, the doctors say, if the women, if it was a problem for the women, they'd tell me. And the patients say, if it was important, I thought he'd ask me. Wow. And so neither of them are knowing. So the doctors, are the when the women come back to the doctors, the doctors say, any problems? And the women say, no, I don't tell them. And so they don't specifically assess their range of motion or assess their trunk strength. So they're not specifically looking at those problems. But the women are seeing the doctors because of their cancer and because they're alive. And so that they can't wipe their bottom, they don't say. Or they can't go back to their sport or they can't, you know, they don't talk about those things to the doctors. Wow. So there's, there, there isn't, if there's a miscommunication in, in terms of these problems. And the physios say, the physios see the bad ones. They say, we don't see many, but the ones we see, they're very bad. So they're not getting referral to the, the major, major patients that the physiotherapists see in Australia is lymphedema. So once they've got lymphedema, then they'll, they'll be seen. But other than that, they said, we don't, we don't see women, we don't get referred. Right. Well, it's really amazing that you're having these focus groups and really a able to understand what the problems are and talk to the women. I think that's something that 
people can learn from in any field and really finding the need for the research that you're doing is is really amazing. Well, so where we go from here with this research though is if we look at, well, what are we going to do about this high percentage of women that, that have problems? And for, in Australia, in terms of our health system, we could not afford um, for all women to have physio. We, we just couldn't afford it and it, it wouldn't happen. So my next step in my analysis is to look at two, two outputs. For the bulk of the women, we really need to develop an education resource for them. So we need to have a public health initiative to guide women in how to address these particular issues which are common for women to experience. And then the second facet is I need to try to determine who are the women that have the worst problems. Can we predict who they are and can we provide treatment to those women much earlier than we are. So, you know, three months post, if we can predict who's going to be bad at that time, mm-hmm. then those women get treatment. So that's far more affordable in terms of the health dollar. So that's where I'm heading. I would, I'd like to apply for a grant next year to develop an online educational resource for women to guide them on how to manage these issues that are, that are common and at the same time a, 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 a resource for clinicians. So the problem with where, where I live, I live in a regional area of New South Wales in Australia, and I've spoken to women who have travelled three, four hours to Sydney to have their surgery, and then they've gone back to Bega or Maruya or, you know, beautiful places, but really you won't see many, a physiotherapist in, in Bega would not see many women who've had a breast reconstruction. So they don't really know how to manage these issues effectively. So to have an online education resource that would be, uh, could guide a clinician of good strategies to manage these issues. So that's sort of, for a public health initiative, we need something to educate women and educate clinicians on how to manage the bulk of these issues. Right. But then we need to identify who are, the women who are going to have the worst problems and they're going to need to be referred for treatment and referred to treatment early. Yeah. So that's where I'm heading with the research to say there's no point, like it's all very well to say, oh, all of these women have problems and it's affecting their physical function. Right? It's all very well to say that, but now we've got to, we've got to solve it. We've got to do something, you know, not just a matter of saying, oh, isn't this terrible? And you say, right, what are we going to do? So this is where I'm, I'm hoping to head down that I, I'm applying for a grant next year um, to develop an online resource and I'm developing a team of clinicians who are experts in the area in terms of rehabilitating these women to contribute to that resource so that women see the best of the best. So if you're, these, you know, there's areas in Sydney and in our, you know, our um, capital cities where women are getting excellent treatment. There are really brilliant, skilled clinicians at managing these issues. The trouble is only a small percentage of women get that. So I'd like to make it that as many women as possible can receive help, can receive a higher standard of care so that that women live better. I want women after breast cancer surgery to live better. 
Yeah, absolutely. And do you think the factors that might contribute to when the women that have worse issues, are those things that you think might happen before they have the surgery or are those outcomes of the surgery? Yeah, so from the preliminary analysis I've done, that if you had a shoulder problem before, and again, like I, I'm specifically now talking about rest reconstruction because that's the first part of this this data that I've analysed. So very, very grossly, okay, just of a, of a big ballpark in terms of the musculoskeletal problems after a breast reconstruction and after a mastectomy, they're pretty similar. So those stats that I told you about a breast reconstruction, they're pretty comparable to the effects that I've had experienced after a mastectomy. Whereas the lumpectomy women don't have as many shoulder problems and don't have um, as many torso problems, but they have as bad a problem with bras and as bad a problem with scarring. Right? That's, as, that's up there. Right? They, they, they're comparable in terms of the three groups of women I've analysed. Okay. But then in terms of the breast reconstruction woman, women, I looked at what problems did you have coming into the surgery in terms of your shoulder and in terms of lymphedema, in terms of your torso and in terms of your scarring? And if you had problems with scarring before you had, of, of the women who had bad problems three months post their breast reconstruction, it was something like 60% of them had problems with their scars before they went in there and it was about 50% had problems with their shoulder and their trunk. And what that tells us is we could have predicted who would have had problems at three months post their breast reconstruction if we'd assessed their range of motion before. So if we'd looked at shoulder, shoulder range of motion before their breast reconstruction and that was limited, then those women should have had treatment because they, had, they were more likely to have problems after. Right. Same thing with torso and same thing with scarring. So these are the data can be used to help to predict who has the most severe problems and therefore for our health dollar, we can invest that into those women to try and prevent them being really bad. We can, we can prevent their, their issues if we know who those women are. So it's a more effective use of the health dollar if we can predict that. And from this data, we'll be able to. Wow. That's, yeah, that's really amazing that um, I think you're taking the right approach to this problem. Like you're you're doing some needs finding, and then you're but you're also looking at um, it, where really is the problem, where's the mis miscommunication, and how do we address that? And also, how do we then you went one step further? How do we prevent this ever from from getting this bad? And I think that's something that sometimes as scientists, or I should say, I'll speak for myself that I forget to do that sort of type of thing. You just get excited about a solution and you don't necessarily think, okay, but what actually, how far back should I actually go to, to fix this? So um, I think you're doing great work and we really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Thank you, thank you. I think that's the benefit is that I'm um, a mixture. I'm, I'm a clinician and I'm a researcher. So I, I as of my clinician head, talk saying look give me something i can use and will you solve the problem don't just keep identifying problems can yeah. we actually move ahead to try and solve them and i think the the other benefit is that you know i've been a teacher now for 30 years so i know how to teach women 
and uh, I've spent enough time with them to understand what they want to know and how I've actually said to the women, how do you want me to teach you? So they, the women have guided what the educational resource will be. So the women, I'm willing to listen to the people that I'm planning on teaching so that I design an education resource that will be useful and that they can learn from. Yeah, that's, that's really great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And Looking forward to seeing the impact that your work has on um, these women. Thank you for, yeah, for your work in the lab and thank you for talking with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Right now, I'm talking with Jody Steele, who is a breast cancer survivor, but she is also an amazing person with a PhD in electronics um, who worked in the R&D business development. Um, And then before that, she was also in the Australian Air Force. And now she serves as an executive coach. So wears many hats. (laughs) Thank you for talking. (laughs) You're welcome, Melissa. Thanks for having me. And I wanted to just start off with what it is like to be a breast cancer survivor. Um, What has this experience uh, been like for you? So, strange as it may sound, it's been a mostly positive experience for me. Um, it, there's been a lot of opportunity to grow personally. Um, I've, and, and I'm fitter than I've been in years. I have time to, to read and reflect, which seems to be a bit of a luxury in the modern workforce. Um, so, I think it because I was actually in the process of doing a career change, I'd been working for over five hours, uh, I'm sorry, over five years at 70 hours a week and traveling three or four weeks, uh, three weeks in four, I, uh, I, my health wasn't good. I wasn't very fit and I wasn't keeping up with my friends. So I had decided it was time for a change. And then I was diagnosed three weeks after I organized to leave my old job. So it was good timing. And I think that's really helped me to make the transition and to, to learn as much as I can from, from surviving breast cancer. Ultimately, I'm really grateful for all the advances that have come before me and all the shoulders of the amazing people that went before me that I stand on. Um, And I also have noticed, you know, possibly because I have an engineering background (laughs) and I like to see the world be a better place, I've identified some areas where I think we could do better. and, And so women will come out of breast cancer even better. And I'm working on those things now. So we've been talking a little bit about the biomechanics of breast health. And I was wondering, is that an area that you're talking about that there is like a need for improvement. Um, Yes, absolutely. What types of challenges have you seen in that area? Yep. So, so quite often, um, women experience problems with moving their shoulder after surgery. Um, and I certainly had that experience. What happens is when you, you know, when they, in, in, in my case, I was prepared for reconstruction straight up after my, I had a full mastectomy on one side and I was prepared for reconstruction, which means that the surgeon um, cut my pec muscle and inserted an expander underneath the pec muscle um, so that it, you know, had the appearance of a breast with clothes on. The thing is that by cutting the pec muscle, that 
impacted on how my shoulder operated. Then, of course, you put women into chemotherapy and radiotherapy, which all affects the tissue and can really tighten up the fascia and the tissue in your chest and in your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Then if you get put on tamoxifen as well, then that accelerates menopause and that also causes changes in your body. So all of those things can impact on your ability to use your shoulder um, and also tightness in your chest and tightness in the in your spine. It can make your torso very tight. So there's a whole bunch of, you know, things that have happened and I've ended up with a bit of shoulder weakness, which I'm still working on. So, so more than you might expect. <laughs> Were these things that you talked about with your doctor or what did, what were the suggestions or the steps to take to improve this? In the hospital where I had my surgery, they're proactive about giving people exercises to do after surgery. And the physiotherapist comes around and, and shows you the exercises on about day three after surgery. Mm-hmm. Um the, so when I came home, I did all of those exercises. I was like a machine. I was so diligent. I was so determined to get better. And I did them three or four times a day all the, all the time, every single day. Didn't ever miss a single day. And I, after a few months, after about four or five months, I still wasn't really getting better. Uh, well, I, was, I had range back, but I didn't have anything like my full range. And I had sort of hit a bit of a brick wall with it. And I did discuss it with my surgeon and he really didn't understand. In his mind, it's, you know, after a mastectomy, women should be really grateful for, for surviving, which is great. And I am. And women, women, you know, in his mind, women think more about the cosmetic appearance of their breasts. Um, and, and certainly for some women, I think that's important. For me, the functionality of my arm and my shoulder was more important than the cosmetic outcome. And it's been a little bit challenging to get him to understand that. And he's starting to understand it now. I've explained how that impacts me every day. Can you explain that a little bit more, how it does impact you day to day? So it's things, simple things like hanging up washing, which I know in the States you guys don't do a lot of. You put a lot of stuff in the tumble dryer. In Australia, we tend to hang our clothes on the line as much as we can with the climate we have. Um, so hanging up heavy things, um, putting bags into an overhead uh, bin in the plane is pretty difficult. Just doing things like if, I, if I'm at the computer and I'm typing for a long time, I get tight in the chest. Even to driving my car, my manual car, I can, I could still drive it. I just couldn't drive it very far because I'd get really painful in the chest because it's on that side and I've had to change to an automatic car. You know, impacts things like I, I love baking and I used to be able to bake for a whole day and then put stuff in the freezer for my family and now I can only bake one or two things at a time and then my muscles all get fatigued. So, so what happened in my case is... The, the reconstruction that my surgeon had prepared me for was uh, either an implant or the shoulder flap. And he hadn't really discussed with me what the potential impacts of that might be on my favorite sport, which is swimming. And I was very fortunate to, to be talking to Deirdre about it, who, um, who's the leader of this research study that we're discussing. And she said to me, oh, no, the shoulder surgery will affect your swimming. You need to think about having uh, the tummy flap. So that's what I ended up doing. The thing was that I'd been prepared for the shoulder flap surgery and then the pec muscle 
encapsulated around the the implant Mm -hmm. and so when they prepared me for the reconstruction they took off that whole big piece of pec muscle so I've got a big part of my pec muscle missing and I think that's that has one of the biggest impacts on how well I can move my arm and the sort of things that I can do. Right and so is this what led you to get involved in the research study that Deirdre is leading? Essentially, yes, yes, because uh, we we knew each other before. We had children that went to school together years ago, and I just happened to be talking to her about it. And she was talking about her research, and we suddenly realised that maybe I should be working with her on her research. So, what types of things do you do in the research study? She's um, looked at my range of movement, looked at the sort of issues I'm having, and then suggested some exercises. Then I will go ahead and do the exercises, you know, very specifically and very diligently and then I provide her feedback and then it's a case of tweaking the exercises as needed um, to get the outcome that we're trying to achieve. Do you feel like being in the study has helped you? Yes, I really do. I think it's, it's given me a lot more movement back. I got to the point where the older exercises that I was doing were actually having an adverse effect on my shoulder and they were causing the the scapula to wing out quite a lot, which I found very irritating on my clothes and and driving the car and things. So so that's been really good. That's improved. Um, I have got more range than I used to have. And the other thing is that I by having the results of Deirdre's survey, I can also see how big of a problem this is for other women and it's really great for the other work that I'm trying to do to improve outcomes for women. So you feel like it'll it'll really have an effect on other women who are going through similar Absolutely. Challenges. Yes. And it's what what's really funny what we've discovered is that as women we tend not to complain. We tend to just say, "Oh, well this is my lot now and I'm fine." And we often don't think to demand more than that um, and demand you know what is actually possible so it's interesting a lot of women if you would ask them you know do you have any um, problems post breast cancer surgery some of them will say no until you sort of show them you know my arm and say well this is what I've got what have you got and they sort of go oh no I have problems with that all the time and yet they've said they were quite happy with it Um, or other women when you ask them they say oh I've had problems with my shoulder ever since I had my surgery but they've never um, gone and done anything about it. So I think, you know, this research is going to be very, very helpful for women, um, primarily, you know, in, in the start because it, it shows that there really is a big problem. And secondly, because it's actually then looking at ways to improve women's functionality after surgery by using exercises. That's really great. And Deirdre and her, the research team, they just they did an amazing job of, of finding the, the need and really, you know, getting women to open up about this problem that they're having that they maybe haven't talked about before. Exactly. It's been really nice hearing your perspective. And I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your story and um, how this research has impacted you. Yeah, you're very welcome, Melissa. Thanks for asking me. So that was a really great set of interviews some really great people that we had the privilege of talking to today and i learned a lot of new things about breast cancer and biomechanics and needs finding and design yeah it was super great and now we're going to just go into our research fails, research fails. 
So about 20 minutes ago, actually. <laughs> Hot off the press. Fresh. <laughs> this is a fresh fail, everyone. Yeah, just breathe that in. Um, I was. We finished up an experiment, actually in record time, like half hour faster than we've done any of these other experiments before. And... So I was probably just like too excited or hyper or something or actually just actually really what it was was I was just like pumped to get to recording boom (laughs) and I was just moving too fast and I hit my co-workers or rather my co-worker who am I I hit my lab mate's (laughs) water bottle over and she had not screwed the cap on tightly so it then spilled all over her brand new MacBook Pro and just really got yeah. in there. <laughs> it yeah. made a really scary, wishy sound. Um, so we don't to be continued on whether it will survive. Yeah, we watched a YouTube video on what to do when you spill water on your MacBook Pro, and the number seven in the list was pray. So yep. So if everyone could just take a minute, just take a moment of silence. <laughs> and we're what were some other things, just in case somebody needs to know in the future? Um, it said to immediately turn it upside down and, and get the water off, and then um, mm-hmm. I believe if you could like to take the back off and take the parts I see. out. Oh, the very first thing was turn it off because I guess you can short things if you try to turn it on too early. Okay. Um, so it's really only damaging if things are, it's or it's most damaging if things are on. Yeah. Um, and we, my lab mate immediately took it to an Apple store and hopefully they will be able to do things after we tried to dry and shake it out and a lot of water came out the headphone jack, so. Interesting. <laughs> Fun things you learn. <laughs> but all her data's backed up, so or at least that's what she said. So there's just a lesson for you and back up your data. Back up your data. Folk. Put it on the cloud. <laughs> um Yeah. Well a mere fifteen minutes prior to that <laughs> I just about smashed my keyboard and closed everything on my screen because um, my lab mate pulled a little prank on me. Um, somebody, somebody who had left the lab previously gifted us this alarm clock because she was moving. So she started gifting her, um, old knickknacks to people. <laughs> and basically this alarm clock rolls around on the floor when it goes off and just starts screaming and, and rolling around. And my lab mate put it on my desk and was like, oh, haha! remember when, um, when she gave us this and I was like yeah that was funny and then just left it there and then 10 minutes later this thing just attacks me (laughs) screaming and rolling at me (laughs) and it was terrifying and I screamed and closed everything on my screen and it was really traumatizing (laughs) and he was was laughing really hard (laughs) yeah that was it was a day it was a day (laughs) ladies and gentlemen it sure was (laughs) so we hope that you all feel comfortable sharing your fails with each other and are inspired to send them to us if you'd like to be featured on the best podcast that exists how can they send them to us (laughs) sorry the breast (laughs) podcast that That pun never gets old never gets old uh you can send them to us to isb student representative at mm-hmm. gmail isb dot student representative 
list. You can send them to us at isb.studentrepresentative at gmail.com. Yep. Or tweet at us. Or tweet at us, or Facebook at us, or Instagram at us. Yep. Our Twitter's isbiomechanics. Or you can tweet at uh, me or Hannah. But um, thanks again to uh, Deirdre and Jody for sharing research and, and sharing their stories. We really appreciate it. We learned a lot, and we hope you did too. Thanks, everyone. Thanks to Peter Washington for providing the, the soundtracks to Boom. Let's just wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Biomechanics, Biomechanics off our minds. minds.